We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Say Metro by T-Mobile. Got the best deal in wireless. And it's all for you. All for me. Just switch quickly. Because Metro has two lines for 80. And two Samsung Galaxy J7 Star phones for free. Plus Amazon Prime included. That's the way wireless should be. Only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. $50 plus rate plan required. Not valid for numbers currently on T-Mobile Network or on Metro in past 90 days. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hey everyone, this is Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at DaveCabinFF. I'm alongside my co-host, Hassan Rahim, who you can find on Twitter at HRR5010. And you're listening to the Rotoviz Season Review. Today, we will be discussing the AFC East and looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly of what happened in the division in 2017. For those of you who don't know, Rotoviz is a sports data and analytics site that publishes over 1,000 articles per year and has a suite of more than 20 proprietary apps. Go to rotoviz.com to check out the site. Hassan, what's going on, my friend? Hey, Dave. Uh, hard to believe we're here. Super Bowl week is upon us, and uh, the season is officially over. It is crazy. Uh, we had some exceptional games in the playoffs, and it really is hard to believe that we are heading into that final game of the season, which makes it appropriate that we're talking about the AFC East, because obviously you have to mention the New England Patriots if you're talking about the AFC East, and they will be playing in that Super Bowl. Before we head in, give me your quick take on this this Super Bowl matchup. Man, it's actually uh, a little tough for me. I was initially leaning, uh, you know, just Patriots are going to blow the, you know, just smash the Eagles. But the more I think about it, this Eagles defense is really, really good. You know, their their line play has been really good. And Nick Foles kind of decimating of 
fantastic Vikings defense lives, gives me a little bit of pause here. What are your thoughts? Well, I just want to mention something first on Nick Foles that's interesting. If you go back and you look at when Foles was at Arizona, that team lost a lot of games, but Nick Foles was ridiculous in college. He would put up like five touchdowns uh, in games that they would lose and stuff, which is crazy. If you go back and you look at Nick Foles' college career, it was very interesting to see how that shook out. And I've actually always kind of thought that he was a pretty decent quarterback. I think he had some unfortunate situations that he was placed into, but I do think that he's good enough with this defense that the Eagles do have, that this team can definitely challenge the Patriots. I would say, you know, you have to favor the Patriots given history, given the coaching staff that they have, Belichick and Brady and everything that goes with the Patriots. But I do think at the very least, this is going to be a closely contested game. I think it's probably going to come down to a couple of key drives in the fourth quarter, as we've seen in a lot of these Super Bowls recently. And I do think that uh, the Eagles will be able to challenge the Patriots on both sides of the ball. But I would have to say, you know, if they play this game out 10 times, I probably like the Patriots at like six and a half. Yeah, and I'm kind of with you. I mean, you know, Gronk is seemingly questionable. Uh, I think he keeps saying he's going to play. He probably has to pass a protocol. He's probably going to play. And he's the guy who, you know, I don't know if there's anyone who can really defend him. Uh, he, you know, he's just like that kind of like game breaking talent. But I wonder if like Hogan's had enough time to get healthy and get back in sync. And there's a bunch of, you know, all these like weapons that the Patriots have. And like you said, I think if you play this game out 10 times, I, I would take the Patriots and about, you know, Patriots win what, six, six and a half. Yeah. Of them, like you said. Yeah. Well, that, you know, it's going to be interesting to see which guy it is that steps up in this game for the Patriots. We've seen this time in and time again, you know, that uh, somebody emerges as the key contributor in the game. And it's really hard to pinpoint who that is, which is one of those things that we'll probably talk about. But I think that uh, there's a number of interesting stories going on with the Patriots. Obviously, there's the talk of some tension at the top with Kraft and Brady and Belichick, some tension, a bit of a power struggle. And a lot of that has to do with Jimmy Garoppolo, or at least it was perceived that way. But as we're learning more, it does appear that, you know, there certainly were tensions and it definitely could have had to do with Garoppolo. So... What do you think we expect from Brady in 2018? Do you think we're still looking at a lot more seasons from him? And kind of, you know, what's your take on how that impacts the quarterback situation for the team? I don't know, uh, you know, how many years uh, Brady has. He keeps saying he wants to play till what, he's 45? Yeah, he has, he has said that. And it seems like he's very gung-ho about doing so. Yeah, but even then, I think we've got at least maybe another, what, two seasons, two really good seasons out of this guy uh, yet to come. I mean, he's just a one of the best quarterbacks in history, just one of the goats. I mean, realistically, we should sort of admire w what we're seeing when we when we watch Brady play. He's just so, so good. And I, I, I don't know if he will lose a step uh, next season. I kind of doubt it because, you know, this, this offense is under contract for all the next season. So he's going to return. Most of these guys will return, at least his receiving core. He's just a monster with Gronk. I do wonder if the uh, Patriots draft a quarterback in this uh, uh, in, in 2018. There is a fairly deep quarterback class, and I wonder if they're looking to take a uh, a pick way back at the uh, for, at the back of the first. There, what do you think? Well, I should say, in the interest of full disclosure, here I am from New Hampshire, so I'm a Patriots fan. So. 
I'm not sure if that gives me better analysis sometimes or worse analysis. It's hard for me to kind of remove a lot of the subjectivity that I would have. But I will say I, I expect at the very least two to three more seasons from Brady. I think definitely two solid seasons. Just watching him season uh, in and season out, I actually feel like if you go back maybe two or three seasons, it actually feels like he has a little bit more life in him. And he's been faring just superbly well in every situation he's been put in. So I'm expecting that from Brady. And I just want to make one point too, when you talk about him being the GOAT and how good he is. If you go back and you look at every Super Bowl that Brady's been in, he has done everything that the team has asked of him. So in those two losses to the Giants, he mounted what certainly at the time looked like game-winning drives, which is just absolutely insane. Uh, so I think if you look at the big games that he's been in so many times, even when the team loses, he has done everything that he could possibly do. You know, I, I think back too to one of those games against the Giants and the defense and Seau and Brewski, they were celebrating on the sidelines and whatnot. And then they, then they unfortunately went out and we had some of those crazy catches. So that's my little diatribe on that. But I do think that the Patriots will be eyeing a quarterback. I don't think they're going to go for them early. They'll try to find a guy that they like that they can scoop up later in the draft. But I am expecting them to start to kind of shift through uh, some of those younger guys to find somebody that they can focus on to have come in when, a Brady, when Brady does eventually leave the team, which there could still be two to three, maybe even five seasons, which, which seems very doubtful. You know, I think they have to start planning for the future again. So keeping in mind, you know, as I talked about all these things that Brady did in the Super Bowl, uh, if you think about last season, we saw James White really emerge as a hero. And at points in this season, as we always see with the Patriots and something we talked about going into the season, it's really hard to know on a week-to-week basis who the guy is going to be. We've seen it be James White sometimes, but we also saw the other backs kind of emerge. They have the ability to cut Mike Gillisley for a $0 hit to their cap, and they have Burkhead and Lewis no longer under contract. So it's really just white. What do you think this team does next year? Uh, yeah, so that's actually kind of interesting because James White, as you mentioned, is, is is signed to a longer term deal than any other RB on this roster. And I'm actually kind of fascinated to see kind of how they approach it because Brady's been ridiculously good at targeting these very versatile backs like Lewis, Burkhead, James White, all had this freakishly talented ability at catching the ball out of the backfield. White, for example, accounted for 14% of the target share, put up 130.3 PPR points. He was targeted 71 times, and he caught five of those. Burkhead, you know, was used a little bit more as uh, in the run game, but he saw 36 targets, and he caught 30 of those. Uh, you know, he scored three TDs as well. He had, he, and he accounted for 10% of the target share. Deion Lewis sort of came on a little late. He didn't account for much of the receiving game in the receiving game, but he really has been a fantastic through-the-tackles kind of runner, really showing what he is uh, capable of. And I think he's going to get a fairly hefty contract uh, as a free agent this season. Uh, in 2017, this is his first season, according to the road of his screener, where he's rushed for about 180 attempts. You know, that's more than he rushed for. Uh, that's a, more than he rushed for in 2016 and 2015 combined. He's uh, flirted with about, you know, 900 rushing yards and he scored six rushing touchdowns. I think he's going to get paid and he's probably going to leave in the offseason. Rex Burkhead, I wonder if they bring him back. And if so, they still do kind of need one more back, maybe a, a slightly bigger bruising back. Uh, whereas I'm not I'm not too sure if they go out on the free agent market to find one of those guys. Uh, it's also 
possible like they could bring in maybe Isaiah Crowell on a fairly cheap deal and use him as an early down to two down grinder uh what are your thoughts on that one the, the Crowell mention is pretty interesting uh, I, I, my take on this would be, I actually think that ideally they'd like to probably get back that same group of guys that they had. I'm not so certain though that it really matters what type of archetype they have with the guys that they bring in. I think even if they were to have three similar backs, and I think that the team does like to have that kind of trio of backs that they can use, I think they'll find a role for all of them. And they kind of like guys that, you know, it's kind of ambiguous as to how they could be used. You know, so like you mentioned, guys that can just do a lot of things. They can catch. They can run between the tackles if you ask them. So ultimately, I think if a push came to shove, they'd probably prefer to keep Lewis over Burkhead. But with the way the Patriots operate, it's going to come down to dollars and cents so much that it's really hard to anticipate. But I actually will say that I think this is going to be one of those situations where they're going to prefer to try to keep the guys um, around as opposed to hitting uh, the free agent market for them. Yeah, and, and just thinking about those like two down grinders, uh, a couple of names that I would find personally kind of amusing if they went would be Jeremy Hill or a uh, Brandon Oliver type, like someone just to bring in on that vet minimum, prove it one year deal, just kind of like, uh, you know, a through the tackles kind of guy. Like, I don't know if they'll be fantasy relevant unless they're going to be used as a red zone back, but just for my own personal amusement, I think that those two guys would be kind of fascinating <laughs> to be signed and see, and see how the uh, Twitter community flips on their uh, idea of someone like Jeremy Hill, especially. I mean, I think that both of those guys in any back like that really could be successful. And they'll have a couple of fantasy-relevant games, I think, the way that we saw Gillisley do it. You know, I think there's a lot of guys that could fit into that role. Uh, but it does really seem like they do prefer even down and short yardage to try to find, um, you know, other ways to get these guys involved. So I don't think that if they bring in a free agent like that, they'll be particularly fantasy-relevant. But that guy could definitely be successful in spots here and there. Now, one player that it's hard to gauge the success of his season is Brandon Cooks. And I was very anti-Cooks in the preseason. I took a lot of heat uh, on Twitter with a couple of people that I was talking with because I said that I felt like Cooks was the most overdrafted player that I had seen in some years, mainly because if you look at that offense, even the most targeted players in the receiving core for the Patriots, we're not getting over 125 targets. And it looked like a guy like Cooks would need 140 targets to be a top 10 wide receiver, like people were talking about him. And at the time I said, it's going to take either an Edelman or Gronk injury very early on, or the two of them to go down in the middle of the season. Well, what happens? Edelman goes down before the season even starts, yet we still only see Cooks uh, finishes... I think in PPR, it was like wide receiver 17 with closer to 120 targets. So what do you make of the season? Do you think it was a success for Cooks? Or do you think that he did not live up to the expectations? So, I mean, so when you're looking at Cooks' history, it, it certainly wasn't as good as his 2015 or 2016 uh, with Drew Brees under center. Uh, actually, as an aside, how crazy is it that Brandon Cooks has only had the ball thrown to him by either Drew Brees or, or, or Tom Brady? Like, that's a pretty charmed life. But but uh, Cooks uh, actually had his least yardage since his rookie year. I mean, he still cracked a thousand yards. But like you said, he he saw about 120 targets. He was and he saw 19 percent of the target share. Uh, you know, he was clearly this entire like passing offense runs through Gronk, who accounted for 23 percent of the target share. But even without Edelman present 
and Chris Hogan missing massive stretches at time and to where you know we were seeing Danny Amendola playing very very meaningful snaps in a high in high leverage games you know, Cook's kind of had a bit of a disappointment since he should have really run away with the opportunity. That being said, you know, there there are certain plays that you can just sort of go back and watch and Brady either overthrows or underthrows Cooks. And maybe that's like production that we're just not seeing because at the end, at the same time, like Cooks accounted for almost 1800 air yards. And assuming that he's back next season and Brady's just as good as he used to be, Maybe they spend some more time this offseason, work on that timing, and he gets you know hit in stride. Uh, for fantasy football, I think for Cooks, it comes down to where his ADP shakes out. I don't know if he's going to go uh, you know, in the yep. early to mid-due as he was around the end of the season. But it'd be really interesting to see if they can work that chemistry stuff out. Yeah, I, I agree. I think one of the things that happened too was, and we've seen this before, it's not always as much of a plug and play with a receiver moving in, even if he's coming from a very prolific offense into an offense that's equally prolific. You know, it doesn't always work out that it's a seamless transition. So I think there's certainly some credence to that. But you got to remember too, you know, like you said, Edelman's coming back. There's Malcolm Mitchell, um, who is out with injury. Then there's other guys like Chris Hogan. You know, I'm interested to know where you think he's going to fall in drafts. And then with guys like Danny Amendola hitting free agency, does that maybe work up some room for them? Or, the, or you know, and what might they do to kind of address uh, him him leaving? Or is he a Patriot next season? I think that kind of comes down to gap and what kind of you know uh, contract he's willing to take. In assuming Edelman and and Mitchell are both healthy. I think that kind of like renders Amendola more so as a bench guy, kind of a luxury asset to this team, just because it feels like uh, it feels like Amendola has been playing that the poor man Julian Edelman role. And uh, Chris Hogan, I have no idea uh, where his ADP shakes out. He's definitely someone who I'm very, very interested in. You know, he was one of the most heavily targeted receivers in the red zone. He has a lower ADOT than Brandon Cooks. Uh, he saw about 70% of the target share, although he missed a significant chunk of games. It seems that Brady looks more comfortable when he's throwing his way. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see him eat into some of those targets. Uh, just that, that free target share for Hogan would be pretty interesting. The guys who I'm interested in are Edelman and uh, Malcolm Mitchell because they're both coming off those uh, injuries. Both those guys are kind of fascinating to me just in terms of where they shake out. I don't know if fantasy players will forget that they what they do or, or what Mitchell's rookie season looked like. You know what I mean? Like, I'm hoping we can get those guys at a depressed ADP. My take on this is I think that every receiver on the Patriots is going to be overdrafted. To a degree, some of that might depend on what happens in the game on Sunday. But I feel like everyone's going to be overdrafted. And I say that just because when you bring some of these guys back in, inherently, that's going to bring down the opportunity for all of these players and I think that beyond that, what will happen is one of them will emerge early on in the season and we'll all be kicking ourselves or we'll be congratulating ourselves for taking them, but it will all kind of even out. So I would say I'm not going to be going out early in drafts or as early as ADP is going to dictate for these guys. So very quickly, because we've talked uh, at length about the Patriots, which I think is probably fair and you know they probably deserve, especially given how the other teams performed in this division, they, they deserve a lot of airtime. But as far as Gronk goes... 
Are you concerned about the injuries? He still missed three games this season. He was healthy for the most part, though. But where do you see him drafted next season? And do you have any concerns? I'm fine getting back on the Gronk horse. I mean, sure, he missed games, but you kind of know what you're getting with Gronk when you go into it. Uh, He saw 22 of the red zone targets, and he caught 11 of those, and he put up six TDs. Uh, He's by far, he saw more red zone targets than Cooks or Hogan or James White, uh, you know, who accounted for 12, 12, and 11, respectively. You know, and the one thing about drafting Gronkowski early or at least reaching for him uh, because of the tight end thing is, you're drafting at a massive positional edge ahead of your uh, most of your league mates. Now, it depends on ADP or where he's valued. Again, I'm hoping that people are still worried about the injuries to where you can take him in the late second, where that gives you a massive edge again. You want, you, I mean, like realistically, if you want one of the receivers, if you're not willing to pay up for Gronk, maybe just try and nibble on some of the cheaper guys vis-a-vis ADP. Uh, What are your thoughts on that one? I mean, I've always been anti-drafting Gronk. I think if he's there in the third round, which he won't be, I think he's probably going to shake out in the second round ADP. I would go for him in the third, but I just don't see it in the second just because I do have concerns and it does seem like a foregone conclusion at this point. He's going to miss a couple games this season. And I kind of like to structure my teams in a way where I'm not trying to gain a perceived advantage at a position where I only have one player. Because if something does break wrong with Gronk, then I spent a pick purely trying to gain a positional advantage, but it can evaporate so easily. We could probably talk ad nauseum about the logic behind that and the actual merits of that argument, but I think we should probably move it along to a team that fascinated me just because of the reluctance to accept the fact that Tyrod Taylor is not the problem in Buffalo. I think he was playing with the very, uh, a very dismal cast of characters around him, especially in the receiving game. And I don't think he's a top 10 quarterback or anything at that stretch of the imagination. But I do think that, you know, he was serviceable enough for them. And them benching him to bring in Nathan Peterman was absolutely insane. I would say I don't think he's going to be back in Buffalo under center next season. But if not, who do you think that they turn to? Well, I mean, Tyrod kind of did the best that he could with what he was given. Uh, when you're looking at the uh, how the targets were split out on this squad, LeSean McCoy was the most targeted receiver uh, in this, uh, whatever they wanted to call their receiving core. <laughs> you yeah. know, so, so, so you're already hamstrung the guy Nathan Peterman like that entire fiasco honestly in my opinion the way they went about it just looking for an excuse to get rid of Tyrod they should have not made the playoffs I'm really happy for Bills fans that they did because it's it really is awesome watching those guys have their moment in the playoffs but I really did not want this front office and this coaching staff to be rewarded for them making these negative uh, EV moves with their own roster. You know, you got, you kind of got to dance with the guys that brought you here. And the fact that you're in playoff contention with, you know, guys like Charles Clay and Zay Jones and Deontay Thompson as your major receiving threats says a little bit more about Tyrod than it does about the coaching staff. I mean, again, it, it, you know, like, like he's done, he's doing the best he can with this like motley crew of, 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 of receiving of receivers and so i hope to see tyrod maybe no longer in buffalo and it, and if it and if they do decide to move on from tyrod and realize that nathan peterman's not the guy uh i wonder if they're going to try and 
throw as much cash as possible at Kirk Cousins because that sweepstakes has begun. And then I wonder which of the Gastaway Vikings QBs, whether it's Gase Keenum or Sam Bradford or um, Teddy Bridgewater, they try yeah. and they try and snag. Yep. What do you think? I think that it's probably going to be a lower level guy, maybe like one of those Vikings quarterbacks. Because I don't see them being perceived by the competitive quarterbacks that are going to be out there like Cousins as, as being that good of a destination. Just when you look at the pieces that are going to be around them, that's going to be enough to scare off any quarterback. And it just doesn't really feel to me like a situation where the Bills themselves are really going to be committed to to winning and getting better just because they're still staring down the Brady Patriots monster for a couple more seasons. So I, I'd be surprised really, if they get anybody of note or anybody exciting. And even if they do, I mean, this team this team is still going to be doomed until they can make some other adjustments and get some receivers for that quarterback. So LaShawn McCoy is one of the only highlights that they really have. I mean, he's 30 years old now. Do you think that he can still keep it going in this offense? They're kind of going to need him to, right? I mean, he scored just six rushing touchdowns this this year, uh, you know, a year removed from his 13 touchdown season last year. And it's really weird because, you know, Mike Gillisley left in free agency, who was his big vulture. I mean, they still had Tolbert out there trying to vulturing TDs, but that's not the real thing about McCoy. Like, what really is impressive about McCoy is just how often and how healthy his usages in in that passing game like I mentioned he was targeted 77 times he was ostensibly their wide receiver one and and just the fact that you know they've got this uh this guy who's got a very high floor um just, you know he saw 16 percent of the targets uh in 2017 I'm sure that the Bills are going to keep leaning on him till, till the wheels fall off the question about McCoy will be where does his ADP again where does it shake out because I don't know if he has He's certainly going to see the usage, but does he have that kind of ceiling to get you one of those Todd Gurley 45-point games? And I don't know if he has that, and I, and I don't know how you value that in drafts uh, in this upcoming, uh, you know, for 2018 and beyond. What are your thoughts? I think he certainly doesn't have a uh, ceiling that comes anywhere near a player like Gurley or some of these uh, similar backs this season. I mean, I think he's going to be successful, but it is a situation that does give a lot of skepticism, uh, given some of these younger, strong options that we're going to see at running back. So, I mean, I think he's a guy that if he manages to fall down and, you know, is going in that RB maybe 8 to 12 range, then uh, he might be a guy that I'm looking at. But I do think you're going to have to expect him to be slowed down a little bit. It would be nice if we could see some other players emerge. Now, Jordan Matthews is going to be a free agent, but they did make the trade for Calvin Benjamin they have Zay Jones, who, as you wrote in the notes, had ostensibly the worst season as a rookie wide receiver. What do they do here to try to put some other pieces around? Are there moves that they can make for the that receiving core? So just to touch on uh, Zay Jones quickly, uh, he was definitely the least efficient rookie in the last decade uh, among rookies who saw 50 or more targets. But you know, at the end of the season, it was revealed he was playing through a torn, torn labrum. I don't know if I'm... If I, ha- if I have him in Dynasty, I don't know if I'm looking to get out from under him. I'm kind of willing to hold because if you're playing through a torn labrum, it's a little bit difficult to move your arm around and catch the ball, which I believe a wide receiver is supposed to do. So, you know, I'm, I'm, willing, to, I'm willing to accept that, like, 
the labrum was what kind of weighed him down. I mean, they drafted him fairly highly, so he's going to see plenty of opportunity next season. The guy I'm kind of impressed with is uh, Calvin Benjamin, who played through a knee injury for almost the entirety of his six games as a Bill. I mean, you know, sure, he was playing through this massive knee injury, and we're dealing with this question of whether or not he'll ever be healthy again 100%, but kudos to the guy for guarding through the pain. Uh, you know, he's just really, really impressive. And I'm kind of hoping that Benjamin's able to get healthy. I don't know if I could draft him next season because of those lingering knee issues. Uh, J-Matt's actually kind of interesting uh, because he's that possession kind of guy who also has uh, injury concerns. And, he, you know, he may just never really live up to his potential that we saw early in his season because of just the injuries that he's been playing through. But if he's able to get healthy and he's able to come back to the Bills or go somewhere else, he he's easily going to be one of their like top slot slash possession guys and one of those PPR machines. What do you think? You know, the, as I'm hearing you talk about this, it makes me realize that I might have been a little too pessimistic and too hard on this team. I think there certainly were a lot of injury challenges that this team faced that kind of depressed you know the ability of this team to produce. I'm with you. I think that if J Matt can recover, I think, you know, he's a player that has a solid future as, you know, a mid-level kind of wide receiver who can do some things. And I would like to see Kelvin Benjamin return. I actually like Charles Clay. I believe that I'm more, I'm higher on him than you are, but I think that Benjamin and Clay could, could be an interesting combo out there. I got to admit though, I actually don't know if Clay uh, returns next season or not. Do you? I believe he does. Uh, I think they have him under contract for next season. Charles Clay will certainly be one of those incredibly unsexy tight ends that you can leave your draft with right at the end. Think that like Charles Clay might be the guy who we want to target in this uh, receiving game till we see how free agency and the draft shakes out. I'm with you on that. I think, at least for me personally, in my fantasy season, he was kind of a high spot among a lot of mediocrity on that team but I will tell you what is not mediocre and that is a subscription to an NFL pass at Rotoviz go to the Rotoviz radio homepage uh, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast get 30% off a listener only discount to the site and just get all of the great content and tools that we have coming up we're going to be blasting all kinds of draft coverage breaking down what happens uh, on all of these teams, getting you ready for 2018, Dynasty, Redraft, Best Ball. We're going to have you covered on all of that. So make sure that you go to rotoviz.com. So Hassan, now that I kind of fumbled and stumbled through that little read there, it brings us to the Dolphins, who have been doing a good job of stumbling and fumbling for some years. They bring in Jay Cutler to replace Ryan Tannehill. We all know how that went. Uh, just to remind everybody out there, obviously we said that the Bills made the playoffs. The Dolphins only won six games. They went six and ten. And the Jets, who we'll talk about later, went five and eleven. So we have the Dolphins and the Jets at the bottom of the conference. Does anything change with Ryan Tannehill back under center next season? Not really. I mean, this uh, maybe the passing offense kind of improves. Gase has publicly kind of backed Tannehill, but there's rumors swirling about Baker Mayfield being, in, you know, them being interested in him. They, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield reportedly met with the Buffalo Bills, uh, the Miami Dolphins, the New York Jets, and the New Orleans Saints over Senior Bowl week. And it seems that, like, there's some chatter coming out of Miami that 
indicates that they're open to drafting a rookie uh, with their uh, 11th pick, assuming one of these, uh, you know, one of the heralded QB prospects somehow falls all the way down to them. Maybe they, they take him. Otherwise, I can see Gase being true to his word and just sort of sticking with Ryan Tannehill, who, despite his best efforts of putting off surgery, unfortunately, did uh, tear his ACL, which is, a, which is very, very... Uh, and I'm hoping he comes back at, at full strength. I don't know if he's going to be fantasy viable or this team will be, but I was wondering what your thoughts on that would be. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think regardless who the quarterback is, um, they're not going to be fantasy viable. And I think that um, it's going to make it hard for some of the players around them, but we'll probably still see the team's running back be useful in certain spots. Um, and then, you know, we have to talk about what shakes out at receiver, but it could be, um, you know, an interesting, an interesting group there. And even if it is Mayfield, I'm, I don't know what to make of Mayfield yet. I need to go in and do some more research. I'm, uh, skeptimistic with him as I am with all quarterbacks, but it is going to be interesting to see at least from a ground game perspective, what this team can do, because we did see some hot, uh, you know, some good spots from Kenyon Drake towards the end of the season. And, you know, do you think it's his backfield? We know that they traded Ajayi away and Damian Williams is going to hit free agency. They going to go for somebody else or is this his uh, backfield to run with? No, I think about like all the things that had to happen for, for Kenyon Drake to sort of really see that kind of opportunity he did towards the end of the season. They traded away Ajayi to Philadelphia Damian Williams was was hurt and then just couldn't get back on the field. And so Kenyon Drake sort of de facto fell into all that opportunity. I don't know if they go out and they might actually re-sign Damian Williams. And I don't know if they spend a, a spend a high draft pick on running back. Maybe they'll take one super late or something. Or maybe they, they draft a couple from the free agency heap. But I really don't know if Kenyon Drake will be the guy as we saw although he had a fantastic end to the season with all that opportunity he he actually re- he you know he really delivered just and he showed that he was able to be used in all phases of the game as a true bell cow I just don't know if they see him as such because again he climbed a massive mountain to get to where he was and it took a whole bunch of injuries and trades to open up that opportunity for him what do you think I'm with you that I think that they try to bring back Williams and I'm not sure that it's going to be Drake's backfield if they don't. I think that they would have to go out and try to pick somebody else in free agency to couple with him because he just doesn't seem to me like the type of player that could go the whole season just as their pure main source of the running game. Uh, but I think another thing that could really impact that is if Jarvis Landry doesn't resign. He's going to hit the free agent market. It's looking like they're not going to be able to... Uh, to sign him. And I think that could really impact the ground game and the receiving core. So what do you think becomes of players like Devontae Parker and Leontay Carew if the team cannot sign Landry? Do you think that has any implications in the running game? First off, can we just say like Jarvis Landry is incredibly underappreciated. He's been a wide receiver of one. Oh, he's, yes, I'm with you. I love Landry. Seasons. I always think he's been underappreciated. I, I mean, if you're playing in PPR leagues and uh, you're not drafting Landry because you don't like how he's used, PPR might not be the format you're looking for. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, yep. you know, this guy has a racer of 0.96. Sure, he's got a very low eight out of six, of 6.4, but he's just so, so good at converting those air yards into receiving yards. He wins everywhere across the field. He showed touchdown upside this season. You know, he saw 27% of the targets. 
yep. in Miami, you know, if he leaves, like that opens up a significant chunk of the target share for a lot of the other wide receivers. But I don't know if Tannehill is going to be the kind of guy to unlock how to deploy some of these guys. So you got, you know, Landry has an A dot of 6.4, as I mentioned, but Devontae Parker has an A dot of 12.6. Kenny Stills has one of 15. And uh, it looks like they were deploying Deontay Carew at a shallower depth, 8.3, but that's only on 14 targets. So it's a bit of a smaller sample size. Right. But, you know, with, with Landry gone and you're opening up like 160 targets, I don't know if Tannehill is going to be the kind of guy who who will consistently slug it down the field because, again, it goes back to kind of how much play action will they run and stuff like that. Uh, my biggest concern here would be with Devontae Parker. We seem, you know, we're waiting on the breakout that never seems to ever come. What do you think happens with Parker, whether Landry leaves, if if Landry leaves? I think even if Landry leaves, we see Parker become the wide receiver one on that team. I don't see him being wildly successful for a number of reasons. As you mentioned, it just seems like he's not able to get over that hump. We've been looking for this to happen for a couple of seasons now. I don't think the quarterback play is going to be there, and I don't think they're going to be a good enough of a team to really facilitate him taking that step to be the player that many of us have hoped that he would be, which I think is unfortunate for Parker, but it just kind of seems to be the reality of the situation. And then to round out our look at uh, the options that they're going to have in the passing game, Julius Thomas, probably going to be cut by the Dolphins. Is this a spot that sets up to just be a fantasy wasteland next season, or will they go and maybe sign one of these big free agents? I know Jimmy Graham's out there. I can't imagine he's a possibility, but do you think that that could be a hope for Dolphins fans? Sure, why not? I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I, I personally am kind of curious to see what happens under center. I mean, maybe Ryan Tannehill isn't as bad as my mind's eye is making him out to be. Uh, you know, there's Jimmy Graham would be an interesting one. Maybe the chase ASJ. So those are two of the bigger names available in free agency. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't I don't know how many fantasy viable receivers this offense will be able to support. I have to go back and look and see how they did under Danahill. It's going to be one. I mean, I think they, they can only support one. Just looking at the numbers, I mean... I'm just going to quickly go down the targets. You had 161 for Landry, 105 for Stills, 96 for Parker, and then not many else elsewhere. So like, even if you try to roll that up into another player, I don't see it really working out unless we can see somebody that's going to be extremely good or extremely efficient, which obviously they'd have to bring in a big name to replace Landry for that to happen. The guy who I am genuinely interested in uh, in this offense would be Kenny Stills. Uh, they re-signed him to a large contract. Yep. He seems to always sort of uh, produce when he's called upon. He certainly capped Parker's, you know, share of the targets and upside. It just feels like he's a guy I always forget about. And then I forget to draft him. And he's always just a value whoever gets him. Yeah, I'm with you on uh, on Stills. I actually like Stills. And he was a guy that my model kept uh, picking uh, here and there is a guy that could have some big games. So I think he's one of those players that uh, actually, the more that I think about it, you know, he could have a couple of big, nice games next season, especially if Landry isn't there. I don't know if he's the type of guy I would rely on week in and week out, which might be the problem with uh, some of these players in Miami. But I do like Stills. And that brings us to the Jets, who, as I mentioned earlier, won just five games. 
their offensive coordinator, John Borden, uh, is going to be gone. Any hope for this offense? First off, just hats off to John Morton. He took uh, a roster that most considered to be uh, a zero-win roster, and he won five games out of it. He seemed to get the best yep. out of his the limited talent pool that he had to work with. He got ostensibly Josh McCown's best season at the age of 38. With Quincy Anunwa out, he's coaxed a you know, top 20 finish out of Robbie Anderson. Uh, you know, ASJ became a viable tight end. Uh, for for a short stretch, uh, but again, you know, he had his own issues down in uh, down in uh, Tampa, and it's just really nice to see a man uh, recover and sort of deal with right. his demons and kind of come back. And hopefully, he's able to uh, come back to New York and just be their tight end and just be a the budding star that he's supposed to be in this league. Right now, it's going to be interesting to see where the coaching staff will go. Once the draft arises, because we know that the Jets have the sixth overall pick, it would stand to reason they're probably going to go for a quarterback. Any inkling for you of who they might go for uh, if they do decide to go with the quarterback in the draft? Yeah, and that kind of depends on on how the top five play out. Which means if if Baker, you know, if all these negative reports about Baker Mayfield are true, and like how teams don't really value him. Truly, you could see, you know, maybe Baker Mayfield falls to them. And it kind of comes down to what Denver does ahead of them because the Jets are also rumored to be in on the uh, ongoing Kirk Cousins sweepstakes. (laughs) So, you know, maybe maybe they just throw a gobs of money at at Kirk and then try and find other franchise guys at six instead of, uh, you know, assuming the other teams are out on him. Uh, Yep. And that's and that's going to kind of be really fascinating to see i uh if they do go the rookie route i wonder if they bring back uh josh mccown as that veteran presence so what do you think i would think that that's a definite possibility i i think that you know as you mentioned he had a very good season i think that mccown in spots in his career has been strong and for what they'd be looking for him to do i think he could very uh aptly fill that role so i think that there's a high possibility that they bring him back uh especially if they're turning to a rookie quarterback it just makes sense. Now, there's another veteran that the team's going to have to think about, and that's Matt Forte. Uh, they can move on and release him with only a $1 million hit to their cap. Obviously, they have Bilal Powell, Elijah McGuire. Do you think that they make that move and move on? I think they might just because Forte looks really good at spots, and he was hampered by injury for the most part. You know, and so I wonder if they do just kind of decide to move on. I know they signed Jeremy Langford uh, to their practice squad. And sure, we saw Jeremy Langford fade away into obscurity in Chicago. Yep. But at the same time, I wonder if they're fine with letting Matt Forte, uh, uh, just cutting him, eating that gap hit and not having to worry about him. And then going with this uh, RBBC of uh, Powell and McGuire, uh, it appears that they're not willing to trust Powell as a true bell cow back, although, you know, like he does every season, he just came on hot down the stretch. Yep. And so I, I wonder if the decision is kind of made for them regarding Forte and his inability to stay healthy, which is honestly really sad to see because the guy was just one, at one point, he was just one of the top running backs to own in fantasy for a very long time. Yeah, Forte had an unbelievable run. 
I don't think that there's much of an incentive for the team keeping him around, especially uh, with the manner in which they can release him. Bilal Powell, boy, he was just a disappointment. He was a guy that we tried to get really up on as a site, thinking that he could manage to capitalize on a lot of opportunity. You know, with Forte struggling with some issues health-wise, there was times that Powell could have taken over. He just wasn't able to do it. For me, I think we're going to see more of a Powell-McGuire mix next season and neither of them being particularly high finishers from a fantasy perspective. Now, Robbie Anderson, who you touched upon, we got to hope that he can pull together his life in the same way that ASJ did. Uh, He was an undrafted free agent, and he managed to play very, very well. But with the second arrest, uh, it does give some concern. So, you know, do you think that it's going to impact him moving forward? Was this season a fluke? Is he the type of player that, uh, you know, if he can manage to get a third chance, can really string together a a good season? I'm wondering if his season was just kind of like aided by the fact that Quincy and Nunwell went down and and there really wasn't a good secondary option in the receiving game alongside him, especially one who could be like deployed as a deep threat. You know, he saw 22% of the targets, uh, almost cracked 941 yards, uh, and he scored seven TDs. I don't know if that's truly replicable, especially with you know Ananwa coming back. He's expected to play the slot. Uh, the guy who really fascinated me uh, was the fact that Jermaine Kirst saw a lot of targets. He saw 20% of the target share, you know, yeah. and 100 plus targets. He scored five TDs. It fell about 200 yards short of the, that elusive 1K mark. He's deployed at a slightly lower depth. And so I wonder if just even if he's back and avoids suspension, I don't know if there's going to be enough targets to go around for Robbie Anderson. He was a fantastic best ball pick around, you know, in towards like the last final round, the, the last five rounds of the draft. I don't know yep. if what we saw out of him could be re- replicable. Uh, I've seen Josh Hermsmeyer on Twitter refer to him as 2018's Terrell Pryor. Uh, I think that's fairly <laughs> apt. So Hassan. That takes us through all of these teams. Any closing thoughts on this division before we close out? Yeah, it, it kind of is crazy to me that we have on one end of the spectrum, you've got Tom Brady, uh, one of the GOATs, and then uh, on the other end, you've got three teams who have really labored with uh, you know, substandard QB play. And so it would be fascinating to see what those guys do. Uh, uh, you know, Three teams in this division seem to be all in the hunt for new quarterbacks, and that will dictate how... Uh, their fantasies, like how fantasy viable their assets will be uh, going into next season. Well, Hassan, as always, it was awesome talking with you. And, uh, you know, I'll look forward to doing so in the future. Absolutely, Dave. Uh, It was an absolute blast. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. As always, glad to have you. And that's going to do it for today's episode of the Rotoviz AFC East Season Review. I'm Dave Kamen. Find me on Twitter at DaveKamenFF. My co-host was Hassan Rahim, who you can find on Twitter at HRR5010. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the RotoViz Recap series. Please rate and review the RotoViz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at RotoViz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to RotoViz at a 30% discount through the RotoViz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.
Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com. What are you talking about? Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat? What? GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.